Herbert is being chased, thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. It's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Caught. Touchdown, Chargers. That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. I'm not... Yes, and welcome all to the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. I'm your host, as always, Andy Prophet, joined by my dear friends, Jack Reed in Adelaide. How are you, sir? Just uh, just starting school holidays, mate. A well-earned break for you. What's planned? Uh, yeah, no, it's been a hell of a semester due to COVID and teacher shortages and kids being in and out and still rocking up really sick, so... Uh, this weekend is the first time that I've actually woken up on a Saturday morning and not felt like I wanted to stay in bed, which has been great. Uh, heading over to Melbourne, uh, to see obviously you two lovely men and also spend some time with my family. Uh, and I've got my fiance, she's flying up from Hobart to spend some time with us, with me there. We're going to go and see a couple of musicals, uh, drink some nice wine, celebrate some birthdays that we've missed. Um, and just generally relax. I think I'll probably sleep for three days. So, and some yeah. sexual healing. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's really awkward, but all right. Yeah, fair enough. Good one. Uh, sounds great, mate. Um, I'm sure you're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to seeing you. Uh, yes. Alistair Lloyd alongside me in Melbourne. Hello, brother. G'day, brother. Uh, any danger of you finishing picking out blinds or shutters <laughs> or flowers arrangements one of these weekends? Uh, yeah, what's new in your world? Oh, uh, you, you know, you as you boys know, I'm getting married in December and we're also doing a full home renovation at the same time, as well as trying to get a podcast off the ground. So it's been an ambitious year. Uh, I'm looking forward to all of uh, the, the reno related stuff being behind me. As you say, blinds, floorboards, bench tops, you name it. Um, uncle also is the builder. So every, every time something goes slightly amiss, it makes for a slightly awkward conversation. But uh, hey, I'm... Hey, hey. Exactly. A bit of that. Um, but I'm particularly looking forward to Jack being down soon because I'm almost ready for you two boys who will be groomsmen on the on my big day. I've got um, designs ready for suits and looking forward to getting you in and getting you measured up so we can progress all of that. So yeah, that's what I've been up to, Andy. Uh, good to hear, mate. Good to have you both on board for a bit of a reshuffle today. Uh, we were looking forward very much to bringing you all uh, the third episode in our guest series with the lightning rounds co-host Jamie Hoyle, but unfortunate circumstances have put that on ice for now. We are rescheduling, so watch this space for that special edition. If you haven't had the chance yet, uh, head back to our YouTube page or um, our Spotify, Apple podcast catalog and, and check out the last two episodes that we've done with awesome dudes, Kyle DiDominicantanio from the Guilty as Charged podcast and the hilarious Dave Drogemeyer from Locked On Charges podcast. Uh, we were really lucky to have the two of those guys on and the really fun experiences that we've had talking Chargers football over the last couple of weeks with those guys. So take a listen and might see what to expect a bit from uh, our catch up with Jamie Hoyle when that comes around in about a month's time. So yes, bit of a shame we can't bring you that show today, but that's life. We adapt, move on. We can't leave all you fantastic listeners an episode short before we take a bit of our break ourselves. So today we're going to be chatting our almost too early 53 man roster predictions. Before we go any further, if you are watching on YouTube, please take a second to subscribe to our channel if you haven't already and like the video. 
on our audio podcast services, give our channel a like and a review if, you, if you've got the, got the minute um, and follow us to get notified when our next episode is out. Really does mean a lot and thank you to all who have helped out so far. So heading back to the roster, we've evenly divided the position groups among the three of us using our own individual uh, roster building philosophies and criteria. We'll each do a 53-man roster. So each of us will go through a positional group detailing a little bit about what happened in 2021, what's changed and what's new in 2022, and maybe a little bit about what to expect in the season to come. So without further ado, we'll start off on the offensive side of the ball. Jack, why don't you get things rolling with the Jack Reed Chargers 2022 quarterback <laughs> room? Uh, well, this is what you'd call a gimme or a layup, I yeah. think. Um, I think we're all going to... Agree. So, I mean, you've got your Justin Herbert, you've got Chase Daniel, and you've got Easton Stick sitting there. Um, both Chase Daniel and Easton Stick are unrestricted free agents as of next year. They're not taking up too much of the cap. Um, there, there are arguments, or there is an argument to say that why are we keeping three quarterbacks on the roster? So, my question to you guys was, uh, how do we see this quarterback room shaping up? Perhaps this year is set in stone, but what's going to happen next year? We've got Chase Daniel there as the experience, that the Super Bowl winner. Uh, he, he he spent one year in with uh, in New Orleans in, in this system. So, is Justin is is that to support Justin Herbert, or is when will Justin Herbert not need the Chase Daniel safety blanket? And realistically, what happens with Easton Stick? So those are my two questions. And just for a little bit of context, Justin Herbert is twenty four this year. Chase Daniel is 36 and Easton Stick is 37. Uh, sorry, 27, I should say. So, Alistair, h- how do you see this quarterback room shaping up? You're probably going to agree with me here. What about next year to make some interesting conversation? Well, one point of disagreement, actually, is if assuming you're taking three quarterbacks with you to make your final 53, I'm going to be harsh and I'm only taking two. So, Ooh, I'm, okay. I'm, saying, I'm saying ta-ta to Easton Stick. And to me, it's actually much of a muchness which one you decide to keep and which one you don't. But there were slightly more hefty dead cap consequences for cutting Chase Daniel. We'd there'd be about one point one two million in dead cap. So and whereas Eastern Stick, you cut him, and the dead cap consequence is only seventy thousand dollars. So I, neither of them have really shown to me that they can satisfy that main minimum standard you want from a backup quarterback, which is if your starter goes down, can you win games? I'm a little concerned that neither of them can come in to win games. So, so what's the point? So, so, so what's the point then? So it's a, you know, if just, is this team good enough? Well, we don't know because we haven't done our 53, but is just, if Justin Herbert goes down, is this team good enough to win a Super Bowl? No, ab- absolutely not. Uh, if, if he goes down, we would have to try and strike some kind of really quick trade with a, t- I don't know, like with a 49ers for a Jimmy Garoppolo or something, something like that. Whether we have the cap space to pull that off, I'm not sure. But if if Herbert's gone, I think we're done. Uh, but to answer one of your initial questions, do uh, you know? I don't know if there's that much value that either backup is bringing to bear at the moment when Justin Herbert's such a um, cerebral person. And now entering his third year in the NFL, I don't really know how much value having having that seasoned veteran behind him is bringing. And what we do in the future is we're probably going to be a team that rather than looking to draft more young quarterbacks, we might each year be signing a, a type of a Chase Daniel, a bit like a Tyrod Taylor, someone who can come in and win games, uh, but not break the bank 
but that's going to be difficult with the kind of cap challenges that we're going to be facing very soon in the future. So um, it's an interesting one to watch, but look, we're fortunate that we've got Justin Herbert as our franchise quarterback. I'm only having two quarterbacks make my 53. So bad luck, Easton Stick. If he clears waivers, I'd think about signing him to the practice squad, but I'm only entering this season with Justin Herbert and Chase Daniel. Yeah, I've gone no no change to Jack here. I've gone the conservative side and kept Easton Stick on just in the off chance touch wood that something happens to Justin short term. And there's just a little bit, I mean, you're getting sort of an okay backup out of the two of them. Uh, Easton Stick, I guess, a bit younger, is a little bit more agile, can run the ball a bit. So you're getting just a little bit more versatility by having him there. I, I don't disagree with your train of thought, though. Al, being a bit more cutthroat, there's definitely other positions you could afford another one. Um, for me, yeah, the con- continuity in the offensive scheme, I think there's a lot to look forward to in in with this QB group, Justin Herbert in particular. Uh, another year with Lombardi, strong relationships with Herbert and Shane Day, which we know mean a lot. So, you know, that's really... Really fun to look forward to. Uh, we'll move so I, I, put, I put one question to both of you. I'll start start with you, Jack. You both had Easton Stick make, make the team. Is that because there's something about Easton Stick you want to see more of, thinking he could take a leap, leap Jack? Uh, take a leap. Oh, listen, I don't think he's going to take a, a leap, but he does have the intangibles more similar to Justin Herbert, as Andy was pointing out. He's got the athleticism. He's got yeah. the cannon arm. And and whether is Chase Daniel hanging around for Justin Herbert or is Chase Daniel actually developing Eastern Stick to go next year? We say ta-ta to Chase Daniel, but mm. you've actually got a somewhat capable backup at 28 years old and Justin Herbert in his fourth year. So I'm so if listening to what you said, Alistair, I'd perhaps perhaps yeah keep Chase Daniel and take Eastern Stick. I'm going to keep all three, mm-hmm. but I can see your train of thought as well, Andy. What say you? Uh, yeah, well, I think there, I do see, yeah, as I said, um, value in Eastern Six athleticism. And I do believe as well that Chase Daniel isn't just there for Justin Herbert. He's there for both of them to mm-hmm. kind of, obviously Eastern Six needs a little bit more, but another year with them, I don't see the, the harm in it. So I'll keep him on for this year and we'll, we'll reconsider. Maybe Chase Daniel sort of hangs them up after next year, um, making millions for doing nothing. He's played the game, man. It's a good life. It's incredible. Incredible. No pressure. All all care, no responsibility. Life of a backup quarterback. All right. To the next position group. Alistair, why don't you run us through your running backs? All right. This is the first absolute curveball. So this is my 53-man roster, don't forget. And I am a cutthroat bastard. I've looked at this running back group last year and I've seen Austin Eckler, Larry Roundtree, Josh Kelly and Gabe Neighbors, and I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw from, unfortunately, either Kelly or Roundtree. Roundtree didn't quite take to the NFL level. Kelly had a, a critical fumble in that Chiefs game that we lost in overtime in the red area. Between the two of them, I mean... They just couldn't get things going. Josh Kelly was averaging 3.1 yards an attempt. Larry Roundtree, 2.4 yards per attempt. Both graded very poorly on special teams. So you know what? Even though sometimes I feel like you you can't rule out a player improving from year one to year two, running back's a position where I expect early returns. One, because it's a very easy position to replace. You've got so many guys who can play running back, and it is one of those position groups that you should really be able to hit the ground running in the NFL. It doesn't really require, you know, there's no uh, like strength profile functional issue that you need to 
to use to acc acclimate to the next level. So what have I done? Um, and drawing on probably the most overquoted and maybe misattributed quote ever, Einstein's uh, you know definition of insanity mm, yeah. is to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. I am cutting Larry Roundtree and I am cutting Joshua Kelly. They're both gone. Minimal dead cap consequences for either. So come on down, undrafted free agent rookie Letty Brown out of West Virginia. West Virginia, mountain mama. So we've got a West Virginia mountaineer who's going to make the 53-man roster. So right. a little bit about Letty Brown. And it's always good to note these because the Chargers have a rich history of finding UDFAs, Austin Eckler himself. Mm. So so he's a, a, he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Um, he's six foot, 220 pounds. So more of this bigger back, a bit like Isaiah Spiller. And I want to see our running backs kind of transition to a bit more ground and pound. So if we're looking on for a back who can come in on, you know, third and shorts, I don't feel like Josh Kelly or Larry Roundtree really offer very much. Whereas Letty Brown's one of these thumpers who um, had a pretty good career in the college level. And uh, having looked at all of his uh, tape, I could possibly find over the weekend. There are some things to like about him. He's definitely a bruiser and, and fights for every yard. So my running back room heading into this year is Austin Eckler, Isaiah Spiller, Letty Brown, and Xander Horvath. So Gabe Neighbors is also not going to make it. So in that group, you have some guys who can receive out of the backfield, some guys you can use as weapons. You've got a thumper now in Letty Brown, and I'm taking those four running backs into 2022. Nice. Lady Brown's a, a good call there. I went with four as well. Austin Eckler, Isaiah Spiller. Kept Larry Roundtree just for another go in his second year, and I've replaced Gabe Neighbors with Xander Horvath. I've been quite open on the trumpet about my appreciation for his versatility and athleticism, contribution to special teams. Um, Joshua Kelly misses out. Uh, my big point was exactly that fumble against Kansas City. Um, in the bin you go. And yeah, that's that's all I've got on my running backs, Jack. This is where we agree again, Andy. I I have the same four as you: Eckler, Roundtree, Spiller, and Horvath. I We've all cut we, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly's Kelly's gone, and you put it so well as well, Alistair, that Kelly's had his chances, and I just don't think he's performed. I want to see Xander Horvath's athleticism on special teams. His speed, his strength, I think that's going to be really fun to see. He's going to add a lot of value in that special teams unit. I think what I'd like to see is Austin Eckler, your number one option, clearly. Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller, take it strongly, that second position from Larry Roundtree. And perhaps even Larry saying ta-ta and we find a free agent in the, in the first couple of weeks that is going to round out that third running back. So I'm taking four with uh, Horvath in the fullback position rather than Gabe Neighbours. Cool, cool. All right, to the wide receivers. I have five making the roster in this wide receiving group. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Joshua Palmer, Jalen Guyton, and DeAndre Carter. Uh, I think that was a pretty clear-cut uh, kind of decision as far as um, the position groups go for the, this year's roster. Last year... Um, the wide receiving group themselves caught for a little bit over 60% of Justin Herbert's total. So about a little bit over 3,000 yards all up um, and 22 of the 38 touchdowns. 
Keenan Allen and Mike Williams obviously both topping 1,100 yards and sharing 15 tutties between them. Uh, we were the 14th overall ranked wide receiving group by PFF. Um, and a lot of money tied up in our wide receivers one and two, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So with this group, uh, I'd like to see more continuity and familiarity familiarity with the system with Justin Herbert uh, and Mike Williams in particular. Uh, it's really exciting to watch that connection grow. We may actually see Williams establish himself more as a number one receiver in this uh, offensive scheme as that X guy. Uh, Keenan's role potentially could diminish. You know, he's not getting any younger, uh, really. Um, and there was a... Look, he's still he's still an absolute baller, um, capable of performing at a high level. But there was a slight decrease in his production last year, and I think it's time we saw Josh Palmer step up um, to take over that role. You know, he's he's got the the professional um, professionalism attributes and work ethic to take the mantle from Keenan. So um, Jalen Guyton's really impressed Coach Staley during mini camps and bringing in DeAndre Carter for Andre Roberts. He added a little bit to the uh, Washington Commanders offense last year, so a bit more diversity in our pass game. Um, a lot of the success on this group really depends on what we do in the pass protection issues, so when we get to that, we, we can get stuck in. But, uh, Jack, your, your guys, who have you got in the wide receiver group? Yeah, same as you. Alan Williams, Palmer, Jalen Gotten, and DeAndre Carter. I'm going to say the two most important receivers in this group are DeAndre Carter and Josh Palmer. As you said, the versatility of Carter is going to be very important in yeah. our return games and perhaps running some end arounds that don't end up if with just a maximum seven yard gain and doing some strange yeah. things. But the versatility of Carter also in the slot and out wide to, to actually catch it, which Andre Roberts didn't really do. Joe Reed think- loved a minus two gain. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, that was embarrassing at times. But yeah, I, I think the most important position and the, the most important player that I'm going to be watching, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, do your thing, but it's going to be Josh Palmer. Heading mm. into 2023 with our cap situation, having Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on those two huge contracts, there's going to be some tough decisions that are going to have to be made. And I really think it's up to Joshua Palmer to, dare I say this, this is quite controversial, but take Keenan Allen's spot off him. Uh, and I don't like saying that, but Joshua Palmer's development is going to be integral to what our draft strategy looks like next year. If Palmer doesn't take that leap, we are going to need to find a replacement for Keenan Allen, whether it be next year or the year after, uh, because there is going to be a season when Allen's production is going to start to um, sort of fall off a cliff a little bit. So those are my two that I'm that I'm really going to be watching. I'm, I'm expecting Ken and Allen and Mike Williams to both have 1,000-yard season pluses. Jalen Guyton, I'm expecting to hopefully have uh, a number of plus 50-yard touchdowns because I said we're, last episode with Dave, yeah. I said we're going to have over... Herbert's going to have eight plus 50-yard 50 uh, yard um, receptions. So Palmer, Carter, my two most important ones. I'm in furious agreement with you both. I mean... I mean this was an easy position group for me. You're taking five wide receivers and they're the ones that you mentioned. The thing I'm most looking forward to watching this year is Keenan Allen and whether he can uh, justify the long deal that we've given him because there is an out for the Chargers after this year. Uh, if he were to be cut at the end of this season, we're looking at uh, a guy who is due 21.7 mil, 
but the dead cap consequences will be 6.9 mil of cutting him. So you'd save about $15 million there. Whether we can afford to do that or not largely depends on whether Joshua Palmer takes that next step and, sh and proves himself invaluable to this offense so that the team feel like they can have him enter 2023 as the number two wide receiver. Uh, but look, even though I'd hate to see that, hate to see a star of the team like Keenan get cut, that's really what you want to be seeing um, as a team that's banging down the door to, to contend deep in playoffs. You want to see that position uh, position infighting and front officers having to make tough decisions. So as much as I've loved Keenan over the years, the pressure is certainly on him. The best case scenario for us is Keenan balls out, Josh Palmer ascends, and Mike Williams also has a great year. Uh, but that's definitely something to watch this season, um, Keenan's specific performance. And this was quite an easy decision because if you look at the other wide receivers who might make the roster, there's no one really there who necessarily shows themselves to be a candidate. You've got guys like Joe Reed, Jason Moore, Maurice French, and Michael Bandy. There's an undrafted guy some fans like, Trevin Bradford out of Oregon State, who who's a bit of a receiver, um, a punt returner as well. But look, I think DeAndre Carter has the inside track to kind of that role. So not expecting any surprises in this group. And it's it's one of the strongest positions on our team. Yep. Cool. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. I, I guess I'll move on to the offensive line then. The big, big boys. boys. Big boys, big boys. Uh, I have nine. Uh, this is, this was, again, this is a little bit of a gimme. Uh, you've got Rayshon Slater, Matt Filer, Corey Lindsley, Zion Johnson, Storm Norton, Trey Pipkins, Hymas, Salia, and I am giving my ninth position to Will Clapp because we have acquired him in the offseason. Again, I think we've, we, everyone knows who Slater is. Everyone knows who Filer is, Lindsley. Um, my most important or top two most important uh, players I'm going to say Hymas, and I'm going to say Salia. There's going to be a battle at right tackle between Storm Norton and Trey Pipkins, but I do hope that neither of them perhaps win it. I am hoping that Salia is able to at least take it, or Hymas can push out there, or there's some movement on the offensive line somewhere. I'm looking for a little bit, I'm looking for the competition. If Trey Pipkins grabs it and performs well, awesome. If we've got Storm Norton, I know I might have said in a previous episode that Storm Norton's going to be there week one. I, I still think I still think that's true, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can stop Crosby and um, and Chandler Jones. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, a little bit worried about that, but that's so. We'll Chandler Jones will have five sacks. <sighs> I I watched that highlight that popped up on my Instagram feed of the the five sacks against um, against Tennessee. And that first one that he gets, which is a strip sack touchdown. God, I hope that's not us. So, yeah, Hymas, we didn't see a lot of him last year, uh, which which surprised me. But perhaps, again, it was uh, it's, a, it's a hierarchical thing. Salia, listen, what can we expect out of him? I don't know. He was very high. He was projected as around three or around four by PFF, and he ended up going, what did he, round six, I believe, at the yeah. in the end. So we'll see. Because this is my team, and I'm not a conservative person generally, I'm willing to shake things up a bit. I have the exact same nine as you, Jack, but in a different order. My starting lineup, I'm going for some change. Rashawn Slater on the left, left guard Zion Johnson, where he played his entire college career for the, most of his college career. Lindsley in the middle. Brendan Hymas as the right guard. 
and then Matt Filer as the right tackle. And then your backups are Pipkins and Norton, both as swing tackles, and Clapp and Solia, both as, as backup guards and centers. I think Hymers was quite impressive during training camp in the preseason last year, and I'd love to see him fight for a starting spot. The counterpoint to that is the coaches saw him every day and didn't think he was up to it, but entering your second year, maybe he's a chance. And I think teams generally look for Waldo, as Dan Jeremiah says. You know, where's the tomato can on that offense? And if you have Pipkins or Storm Norton on the right side, I'm worried that you're having to game plan around them substantially. So I, that's not my preferred starting five. They, they can both be backups. They're, they're good for, to help out in a pinch. But I'm taking the risk of moving Filer across, who's shown exp- that he can play well at right tackle in Pittsburgh. And I'm going with the risky business of having a couple of young players manning both guard spots. You're going to have Zion Johnson left guard, and you're going to have either Solia or Hymas at right guard, whoever wins it out. And you know what? The risk is it doesn't work, but the upside is it could be even better than we had it last year because everyone's playing in their more natural position. So that's my nine, and, and there's no one else really. Jack, you want to well, disagree well, you know with what, me? You know what the risk is there is you've got is you've got Chase Daniel starting week two because Herbert's broken his leg. Yeah, that's what that that's the issue you've got there. Yeah, the only the with Brandon Heimer starting at right guard, he's under three hundred. He's listed as under three hundred pounds. That worries me. He's six five. I get mm. he's so he's so he's got the actual height, but under three hundred pounds, he's one of the only. Uh, charges offensive lineman that that is that is sub three hundred, which, okay. which worries me. So in terms of that power, you're probably looking at Solia um, or or your, or your Zion Johnson. I prefer continuity, so I'm going to disagree. I think it's Slater, Filer, Lindsley, Johnson, and one of either Norton or Pipkins. And this is Kyle D. Dominicantanio shaking his head, saying, "Hey guys, I just showed you continuity doesn't really matter. You can make changes." Uh, look, re- this is the big question on every Chargers fan's mind. So unsurprisingly, people will land in different areas. I'm taking a risk here. Uh, Andy, how, how did you go about this position group? I had the same nine players. Um, Rashawn Slater, Zion Johnson at left guard, Corey Lindsley at center. I had Matt Filer at right guard and reluctantly uh, picked... Trey Pipkins at right tackle for that's interesting, Andy. No one, no one I've heard of has said suggested that that you flip Filer, but not to right Mm. tackle. You flip him to right guard. Well, I don't see the value in playing Zion Johnson at right guard. Having even though I'm not, I'm not concerned at all about having a second year and a first year player on the the blind side of the line. Rashawn Slater showed above and beyond that he is more than capable of being on an island. Having Lindsley in next to him, still having guys like Matt Filer in the, the group, you're learning stuff, you're helping this guy out. He was more than capable at college at you know 6'7", big, big boy. Um, I am just a little bit concerned about Salia and Jaimez starting right away uh, at right guard, you know, enabling Matt Filer to move over to right tackle. But Sink or swim, baby. Uh, yeah, it's a bit like that. And then, yeah, Will Clapp uh, as my swing center backup. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll just it's see. Ju- but it's, it's a risk analysis, right? And the risk analysis I see is that Herbert doesn't have eyes in the back of his head, but Herbert has the agility and the athleticism to move the pocket and get out of the pocket from the pressure that he can see. So mm. if you've got Slater, if, so if, I, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I've got Slater, Johnson, Lindsley, I'm loading up that left side to see if I can, if I can um, 
really trick or really put the pressure on a rookie and a second year player. That that and that's that's what I would do. Yeah. Now and and as I said, if Herbert's going to take a, a a sack, I'd rather him take a sack from where he can see and brace rather than being hit from behind like you see those big hits where you hit, see the whiplash, the ball flies out, and it's a defensive touchdown. So that's how I see it. And why would you mess with something that was was one was one of the best units in in last year? So there's a bit you, of a Because you make something even better. <laughs> All right, move, move, moving along, I've got the tight ends. Uh, and again, I'm doing something awfully weird here for the listeners. We've got another underafted free agent making the final 53. Our tight end, I, I, I don't like heading into a year with three tight ends. And the three obvious ones are Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, and Trey McKitty. Uh, but I found somebody who tickled me a little bit after looking into him. His name is Stone Smart. Smart spelt with two Ts. He's six foot four, 232 pounds out of Old Dominion, and he played quarterback in 2019. He played nine games of quarterback, five rushing touchdowns. He looks like Jacoby Brissett. That's how he looked as a player. Then in 2020, the season got cancelled due to COVID, so Old Dominion didn't play football. And this season just passed, he moved to wide receiver. And a wide receiver, he caught 17 balls for 167 yards and showed he's a very good athlete because he runs a 4.62. And on Chargers Weekly this week, Daniel Popper, who's been at the Mandarin Tree minicamp, said, this guy Stone Smart, uh, he's caught seven catches across the two days during um, workouts, and he just keeps on catching the ball. So, acknowledging that I haven't had the benefit of looking at the preseason and training camp, if I had to choose a 53-man roster right now, I want to add one more body to that room, and I don't, haven't seen enough out of Hunter Camp Moyer or Eric uh, corman Hoke, the other undrafted free agent, whereas Stone Smart interests me a bit, because if he's played quarterback, you can add some trickeration potentially, do some stuff in the red area, and he, I know. Um, so... I've got four tight ends, and I dare say I'm the only one who's going to have Stone Smart making the final 53-man roster. Correct. I've gone with three, Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, Trey McKitty. Um, seeing probably a little bit of an improvement, replacing Jared Cook with Gerald Everett. That's going to be exciting for the past game. Donald Parham's uh, back after that sickening concussion, and let's see a little bit more uh, elite blocking from Trey McKitty now that Steven Anderson's gone. It did tempt me to put in Gabe Neighbors as well when I was selecting my running backs, just because Stephen Anderson sort of took over that kind of fullback role when Gabe Neighbors was out, and there's a bit of shared kind of responsibility on that, you know, in-line blocking tight end fullback kind of role. So they're my three, uh, no bells or whistles. Jack? Yeah, the philosophy behind my three is, is the same as Everett, Parr, and McKitty. But when I look at Stone Smart, I look at Campermoyer and I look at Croman Hoek, I think his name is, which is Eric Croman Hoek, there we go, is that are these guys actually going to be picked up by anyone other than being put on our practice squad? So if there is an injury, uh, we can't just put them in. And Mike, just to round off the offense, I'll, I'll put a question to both of you. Whilst I was going through this as a process, I can't remember the last time where it's really quite clear to me anyway that there's there's a bit of a gap between what we have essentially as our starting 53 and also what I could possibly see on the practice squad. I'm really struggling to see where some of these extra wide receivers, tight ends um, and offensive linemen 
who's going to take them and where they're going to go because most of them are rookies or one or two year players. So I kind of feel that Staley and Telesco are building quite a smart roster because they're the practice squad guys seem to be quite specific to what the team is going to need if there is an injury. They're not we're not going to ask a Camp Moyer or a Crum and Hope to come in and try and catch, or if if Gerald Everett, heaven forbid, is injures himself to come in and, and try and gain that production or that catching production. More so where we're looking they're coming they're coming in and perhaps helping supporting the run game or the blocking. So to you, Alistair, your question, what was your vibe in throughout this process in terms of that way of looking at uh, the team building aspect? I thought going through the process that we, we've built a deep roster on the offensive side of the ball. It, what really stood out to me was I've never seen us in a position to field this depth along the offensive line. Not even close. Like it's, it's insane depth for a Chargers team compared to years past. So that was good. It feels like there's a clear nine you can take into the season. I felt the same um, really about most position groups, except wide receiver is the one where I do think it drops off. So when I was looking through that, even though you have a good three or four, we don't necessarily have a good five or six. And these days in the NFL, there are teams that go out with four wide receivers who, where their three and four are probably better than our three and four. So I am a little worried that if injuries strike at that position group, let's say, God forbid, Mike Williams does an ACL in training camp. I do start to worry about our wide receiver depth. And if really we're in a position where people can carry the load behind Keenan and Mike, but that's it. Look, I'm sure a lot of teams fall within that kind of paradigm as well. So uh, on, on balance, I'm pretty comfortable with how our offense is positioned. And like you said, Jack, if we do need to bring up a couple of members from the practice squad, they'll be coming in to kind of fill in the back back of the roster. It will be special teams. It will be run support, that kind of thing. Andy? Uh, yeah, look, I agree with you. In t- I think we were quite or well, very optimistic in, our be- in the coach's beliefs in the wide receiver group. We didn't really look at it at all, uh, not in the draft, not during free agency, apart from, you know, replacing the out Andre Roberts with DeAndre. Carter, they're clearly, you know, impressed with what Jalen Guyton's doing and he's probably the biggest question mark for me. Um, mm. I think I see a lot more potential in uh, Joshua Palmer's development into that sort of slot role, like you said, Jack, to take over Keenan. Um, but yeah, the offensive line is a really, com- it's a really comforting um, position that we ha- I haven't seen since we've sort of been maybe over-analyzing Chargers football in the last sort of maybe eight, eight nine years <clears throat> comparatively when you look at paper and you go, don't know half those names. Now, of course, we know all the names and we go, hmm, you know, there's not that many I'm cringing at. There's no Senor Calamete. There's no Mr. Never Played Football again, Brian Bulaga, Iowa, on the roster where you're going, that's such a waste. He's not going to play. He's just eating millions of dollars and stopping someone else getting an opportunity. So... Yeah, oh, look, I'm really enjoying the um, the offensive depth. Um, it's, a, it's a good position to be in. Okay, so I've had two UDFAs make it on the offensive side of the ball. I'm sure that'll get mm. some tongue, tongues wagging on bolts from the blue. Let me know in the comments if you disagree with that kind of philosophy and if you're more aligned with Jack and Andy. So that's our offense taken care of. Who's starting us off on the defense? I 
believe I will, with the edge rushes. So, last year, well, I mean, let's jump right into the, the fun of getting Khalil Mack on the team. Um, we've lost Nuchena Nwosu and Kyla Fackrell from this group. Uh, we saw a lot of double teams on Joey Bosa making his grading of you know about 90 PFF quite astounding. Um, few inconsistencies and lack of discipline and polish held this group back from potential, I think, t- for a big part in 2021, and the fact that our run defense was absolutely atrocious. 2022 looks a new and far-changed landscape. As I said, Mac enters the fray uh, coming off an injured 2021. He'll be fresh after missing sort of the last nine or ten games. Uh, we know what he's capable of and what his experience will bring to the to aid Bose's output as well, what it'll demand from their offensive line uh, and tight ends. Kyle Van Noy comes in, former Super Bowl winning edge outside backer. He's played with the green dot. Um, and Staley himself has alluded to his versatility and the plans to use him thusly. So he'll play predominantly on the line, I think as a rotational piece and in sub, sub packages, but he can also slip in behind the football and help out the inside. Um, I think the importance of his experience and mentorship for the development of Chris Rumpf in particular um, will be really good. Oh, uh, So I've got Bosa, Mac, Chris Rumpf, uh, Kyle Van Noy and Emike Egbule making Ooh. my roster as my five edge players. Just uh, like the, you know, Egbule's been now with the Chargers for two regimes and managed to stick around. Um, not indisposable on special teams, but still, you know, it allows break snaps for the other guys if he's the one, you know, that I'm comfortable with him being on the uh, in the edge group. Jack. Yeah, I'm going to take a swing here and I'm going to perhaps be a little bit more risky as I'm a bit offended by Alistair calling me conservative. But anyway. <laughs> so I, I think you've got a clear, you've got a clear solid top three in your Bosa, Mac, Van Noy. You, clearly your top two is, is Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Everyone will wax lyrical about them. Carl Van Noy, as you noted, Andy, is that I think Chris Rumpf is going to really enjoy learning off of him. Instead of Igbule, I'm going with Jamal Davis. I'm Ooh. going with Jamal Davis the second. Um, and just I just looked at his the physical traits of Igbule. He's a third year player. He's two forty five, six two. Um, I'm looking at Jamal Davis, who's two five two, just that little bit bigger, and he's six four. So he's got arguably longer levers, bigger arms, perhaps more pass rush ability, which is what we're looking for in that fifth. In that fifth edge or outside linebacker position. I find Emike Igbule a bit vanilla. I, I, I haven't really seen too much. He hasn't really popped out on tape. So I'm going to take a swing here because we've got such a good top three. I'm going to go Jamal Davis as makes the squad and he's going to come in in specialist pass rush situations and cause some havoc. I've, uh, I've gone towards conservatism on this one, Jack. So we've done a bit of a role reversal. And I'm only going in with four edge players, the standard four. And I did think about it. I, I thought about J- Jamal Davis and there's an undrafted guy as well, uh, Ty Shelby. Mm. Um, similar kind of body attributes and dimensions as you mentioned, Jack. For this group, I'm happy for one of those guys to kind of maybe be more of a practice squad type because I do think, as you'll see my next couple of position groups, there are some guys who have some edge flexibility if we really needed to in a pinch. 
So that was my thinking. I've gone with the standard Mac Bowser Van Noy and Rumpf, which is pro- possibly the best position group we have on the team heading into this year. I thought we didn't quite have enough sacks in 2021. We had 19 and a half. Um, Nwozu had five, Fackrell had three, with and Bowser had 10 and a half. With Mac joining, we might hopefully we have that. It might be ambitious to hit that 30 sack benchmark that Dave Drogamai was talking about last week. Uh, but maybe we can expect more than 19 and a half as a co- collective. So it's it's a strong position group, and they're my four. Cool. Now, Jack, just before we move you on to the interior defensive line, um, I've got a question for you. What do you think the, the biggest uh, positive to come out of the coaching swap between Jay Rogers and Giff Smith will be and the familiarity between Joey Bosa, you know, just changing his... Uh, just changing of the coaches on the line there? Good question. I think I can hear someone's uh, phone going off there. That's all right. (laughs) I think the familiarity, listen, Joey Bosa has played wide for a, for a lot of his, um, for a lot of his past rushing career. So I think the familiarity there is, is going to be really important. I listen, I, I did have a thought the other night of, how unsettled is Joey Bosa with having Khalil Mack there and, and moving and, and sort of slightly moving, I guess, positions? Not really, but how unsettled is he and how, how is he coping with it? We've, we've listened to the, to the press conferences. He's, he's turned up to, he's turned up to mini camps and he's really energized and sort of going, oh, well, you know, I've got this guy, you know, he's going to be competing with me. So it's going to be fascinating to see over the next two months before we get into the season of how his development as a leader. I mean, who, who leads that group? That's the interesting thing. Um, is it going to be Mac? Is it going to be Bosa? Or is it going to be Van Noy? And how those three of them kind of uh, take the lead. So I think continuity for Joey Bosa in that sense is, is really, really positive. Sweet as. Well, with, uh, without further ado, jump into the um, interior guys, mate. Cool. Uh, I have, what do I have? I have one, two, three, four, five. And then my sixth one was was a difficult. So I think Austin Johnson and Sebastian Joseph Day are your top two. Looking at contracts, I thought it was quite interesting. Austin Johnson is a UD, uh, uh, unrestricted free agent 2024, whereas Sebastian Joseph Day is 2025. Austin Johnson has a little bit more money coming to him in that second year. Uh, Sebastian Joseph Day is a base salary this year of uh, 22.5 million. And then he goes into 6.5 and 7.5. Now, I think Sebastian Joseph Day is going to be the most important player on this interior. I think Austin Johnson is going to be the second most important. Their PFF grades, Sebastian Joseph Day, 61.5 last year. Uh, Austin Johnson, 58.3. But it's where the the separation in those two come in their run defense. And Sebastian Joseph Day graded at 65, whereas Austin Johnson graded at a 54. So that's, that's, that's a 10-point PFF differential there, which is quite huge. Where... Where where we go next is interesting, and there's a huge drop off to I would argue arguably the third most important, which is Jerry Tillery. Many people know where we're at with Jerry Tillery. hasn't really taken the mantle of a of a top interior defender. 
he's kind of that tweener or he was coming out really really long levers is he going to fit into this 3-4 base defense that Staley likes to run on the interior is he big enough does he have the power so he's he's my third we've got uh, Morgan Fox coming in who is our most recent signing he's on the smaller side so he's your 6'3 260 and then you've got uh, complete opposite in that um, in that f- uh, fifth position, which is Otito Obonia at six four three twenty. So he's your he's your big Ooh, yeah. your big pillbox. And this is where I had a bit of a the, this last spot is it Braden Fahoko or Forrest Merrill? Now I'm going to oh put, that's a what? shock. What happened to your boy Joe Gaziano? And what? Oh, anyway, this is good. There are others too. Yeah. So, oh, and you've got Christian Covington and you also have Andrew Brown sitting there. So I'm going to put my bias out Brown. the table right now. When I see a big fat white guy with red hair and a beard popping off of tape, which I did a number of times last year, perhaps I'm specifically looking at him because I'm a big fat white guy with a red beard. I have a little bit of bias to seeing <laughs> Forrest, to seeing Forrest Merrill uh, take up one of those last positions. But when I actually looked at the... Um, when I actually looked at the, the the stats, it's it's pretty clear that I believe it's Fahoko's position. Uh, the overall defensive grade of Forrest Merrill in very limited snaps per PFF was thirty one point nine. Uh, Fahoko was a far far better fifty one point one. So I think Braden Fahoko is taking up that last spot there for me. Christian Covington is too small. He's your six two two ninety. I don't think uh, we're looking for that. We're looking for bigger size there, which and um, Fahoko is your six three three hundred. Uh, I don't think Gaziano is going to make the spot because he's he's sub three hundred as well, and I don't think Andrew Brown's making it. So I've got my I've got Morgan Fox, Austin Johnson, Sebastian Joseph Day, Obonia, Tillery, and Braden Fahoko. Nice one, Jack. Uh, we're close, but not quite hitting on the last num- last uh, interior alignment. I think that's to be expected because there are five relatively obvious ones, and then the sixth one is really uh, pick pick your poison. So, f- so for me, uh, you've got S- Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, as you said, as the first two. You've got Jerry Tillery, also important, um, who's able to to maybe apply some pressure. You have Morgan Fox doing the same thing. And then Otito Obonia is going to make it because he's a rookie. Whereas with for the, for the last position, I, in, where you've kind of looked for a, a larger guy, uh, I haven't done that. I'm looking for a, a guy who can bring some pass rush upside. So because you have SJD, Austin Johnson and Obonia all bigger, I'm going Fox Tillery and then a third guy who's maybe brings a bit more pass rush. So I've gone with Covington. So I have Gaziano and Fahoko and Merrill all missing. And I went with Covington just because he's 28 years old, a bit more developed in the body and a bit more experienced. So I prefer him as the sixth. And then if I can stash someone like Fahoko on the practice squad, great. But I'm willing to risk losing Gaziano and Fahoko and Merrill. I feel like we're in a good position at the, in that group for the first time in years. And Covington's my last defensive tackle making the team and my 53. So my, my, my difference there is that I've put Jamal Davis as more of that athletic pass rusher on the outside linebackers, which mean I, I'd rather another stalwart mm. pillbox in there. So there's our philosoph- philosophical difference. What about you, Andy? Yeah, I agree with your philosophy, Jack. I've gone with stuff the run defense, um, increase the run defense and stuff the holes. So my six are 
SJD, Austin Johnson, Jerry, Jerry Tillery, Morgan Fox, Atito Ogbonia, and Braden Fayoko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On that, Alistair, do you want to run us through the linebackers that you've picked in your 53? Yes, I do. In- interesting group. Good. Uh, maybe not our. Yeah, good. Good <laughs> maybe 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 not our strongest positional group, but as as many have pointed out, uh, perhaps linebackers deprioritized in the Brandy, Brandon Staley scheme. My linebackers, I've gone with in order. So here's the controversial part. I've got Drew Tranquil as the starter with Troy Reader. Mm. Nick Neiman comes in third. Kenny Murray comes in fourth. And I've gone with our man Ogbong Bamiga as a fifth. I've brought, I've taken him as a fifth linebacker. To my point earlier, he comes with some edge flexibility. So he has, um, he had a sack last year, for example. And even though I didn't see so much from him personally, I know the coaching staff were impressed by what he brought. And this is a position group where you can expect to see some improvement, steady improvement from year one to year two. So my hope is maybe Ogbong Bamega is an okay linebacker. So I'm willing to keep him on the 53 this year. I'm taking five with me in that position group. But I I understand this is quite um, a difficult one. I've gone with five. How many have you gone with, Andy? I've gone with four. I see valuable flex, like I said, when I was going through the edge position with Carl Van Noy, being able to play behind the football. Um, In saying that, I don't want to rely on him for a too high a snap count. My four backers are Drew Tranquil, Troy Reader, Kenneth Murray, and Nick Neiman. Um, Nick Neiman has performed very well in special teams, so going into his second year with this unit, uh, I couldn't see him not on the roster. And Ogbong is one of the guys that I would risk let him, him fall through waivers and signing him onto the practice squad. I do agree with you with his um, pass rush uh, flexibility and special teams output, but linebacker is not a spot that I saw value in retaining five players on this roster, the way that this defense is crafted. Jack? I've gone 5-2, and I agree with your order, Alistair. I think it's Drew Tranquil, Troy Reader, Nick Neiman, Amen Ogbong, and Ooh. I think Kenneth. And I've gone Kenneth Murray last. Oh, yes. So... A little bit of a, and and, I'm, and I don't mean that out of quality. So just bear mm. with me. So I'm, I'm I'm calling a couple of audibles here as as I'm going. So I might have a little bit over or under fifty three, but just tr- trying to do something different. Uh, really what different. About, what what, what <laughs> do we think about Kenneth Murray uh, moving to the outside linebacker group as a as as behind or in front of a rump, but behind someone like a Carl Van Noy? Because I think he's got the frame to probably move into that outside linebacker at 6'2", 240 plus. He's got the athleticism that can that can give perhaps those uh, those tackles a little bit of a worry. When you look at people like Rita, Tranquil, Neiman, Ogbong, I look at those four as a little bit different physically to your Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray doesn't or didn't necessarily have the sideline to sideline speed that we expected from last year. He did show it a little bit in his rookie year. Um, so uh, I don't know. What say you, Alistair, about that that slight positional change? He's moving into that perhaps more specialist pass rusher yeah. rather than your sideline to sideline linebacker. 
the fact that we're asking that question is a sad indictment on a, a first round linebacker. Uh, <laughs> Who was universally liked, I've got to say. This was not some reach. I mean, we traded up for him where some people might disagree with that move, but there was no one in the national media that was saying he was anything other than a top two linebacker from that class. And he played really well for the Sooners, playing that middle linebacker spot. So I, in response to your question, I think whatever we're going to do, we, we need to try and give this guy a chance of, of perfecting and specializing in a role. It's not fair to be saying, hey, man, you're a middle linebacker. Actually, you know what? Here you go. Play edge. Oh, you know, back to middle linebacker. Give this guy a chance. Um, I differ slightly uh, on whether he quite has like the bend and pass rush moves to play as an edge. I prefer to, if you want to utilize him to, to pressure the quarterback, I'd rather just shoot him through the A and B gap from the middle linebacker spot. I just haven't seen that he's kind of got the technical chops to, to be a pure kind of edge rusher or hand in the dirt kind of guy. I think it might be expecting a little bit too much, but I can see the thought process. It's a thought process of buying to a player's strengths. What can this guy do to help us? He's struggling sideline to sideline. Let's try him as an edge rusher. Um, I'm going to give him one more year at trying to start as a Mike, maybe blitzing him on third down, that kind of thing, and see how he goes. Make it or break it year for him, Andy. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm just we don't look. It's a shame for him. We don't use that many blitz packages because you know, it'd be quite handy in that front. But I just, I want to see him. You know, do what he is, what he came out of college to do, and mm. and that's that's thump it at the the Mike spot. So. I'm with you, Al. Another year. Get it right, buddy. That's, uh, uh, the, that's... the pressure's on, right? Because, I mean, sure. realistically, if, sure. if, if he is a thumper, but he's sitting behind pretty good run stuffers, where does he then sit? And that's why I've got him behind a tranquil reader, Neiman, and maybe Ogbong Murray in that in that last spot because Tranquil's fast, we know that. Reader's played in the offense before. Neiman is fast. He's an athletic freak. Kenneth Murray, if you're going to be slow, teams are going to pick you off in that in that short crossing route over the middle, over and over and over again. So, yeah, poor Kenneth Murray. Not and just for the listeners, not that I'm saying that Kenneth Murray needs to be an outside linebacker with Van. Purely the thought process is how can, as you said, Elster, is how we we can use him in a way that benefits the team. But I reckon we'll know within four weeks whether he's he's going to be effective or not, and yep, we'll see. What absolutely. Yeah, the main the main point is finding the position that suits him rather than, you know, making a position around him because mm-hmm. he's just hasn't proved that there's any kind of worth in doing that. He's not that versatile backer that you go go and go and do it, you know, just do whatever and get it done. No. It's not going to work. All right, the cornerbacks. Um the <laughs> the bread and butter of Staley's DB factory. Derek Ansley returns as uh, returns in charge of this group. Last year was pretty ugly for the Chargers cornerbacks. A 61.6 PFF coverage grade, 20th in the NFL. I think Michael Davis kind of looked pretty out of sorts as CB1. Chris Harris Jr. was god-awful. Asante missed multiple weeks with concussion issues. And we just didn't have the depth. Too many snaps going to Tavon Campbell, Devontae Harris, Keeman Hall, Essie Banang. Sorry. <laughs> in a few Barang? years, this will be a great, great question. I mean, there, like, who were yeah. some of these guys who had snaps in 2021? Yeah. <laughs> so, while Coach Staley's focus is having a secondary that catches the most footballs in the league, 
last year was a true representation of there's only so much you can do in your first off season. And the priority last year was to shore up the offensive line to protect Justin Herbert. He did that. This off season, we've gone out and spent money on JC Jackson as a new CB1. We are taking the appropriate measures and we've drafted two, three DBs, including um, safety JT Woods. So this is the year that he's going right over. Now we've got, we've got to invest the, the, Awful run defense really overshadowed how average this part of our defense was. Um, so he's yeah he's gone a long way to improve that. So my my guys making it: J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel, Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Davis in a reduced role, probably back to the CB three. Bryce Callahan, another inclusion, familiarity with Staley at Denver. Um, Tavon Campbell does make it as my fifth cornerback, and my sixth is Jasia Taylor, uh, the mm. sixth-round Wake Forest. Wake Demon Forest. Deacon. Wake Forest, mate. <laughs> um, I've heard the p- most positive mentions of him this offseason, just pipping Dean Leonard at the post. Mm. Uh, like I said, they want to catch the most balls um, in the NFL, this group. I think the combinations the Chargers can roll out with their DB formations with the second uh, with the safeties that you know we'll, we'll pick soon. Um, could just make that happen. Could make this a really, from a turnover uh, standpoint, a really productive group. Um, Jack, what are your? Who are your guys? How many are you taking in? Yeah, I'm taking six. Uh, I do have a. I, I am going to disagree with you on a number of things. I oh, think okay. JC. Here we go. Jackson, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I mean for a bit of JC Jackson's my CB four. Okay, yeah. buddy. <laughs> JC Jackson, clear number one. Asante Samuel Jr., clear number two. Bryce Callahan, I think, is going to be a clear number three with what the role he's going to have to play. Michael Davis at four. And you know what? I'm not taking Tavon Campbell. Uh, 29 years old, six foot, 200. Instead of Tavon Campbell, I'm taking Mr. Mark Webb Jr. Six one, little taller. He's 23 years old. Uh, he's still a little bit younger. Staley loves something about him. Whether he plays as a DB or a CB is is up for debate, but I'm going to put Mark Webb there because I think he brings something to special teams that Tavon Campbell does not. Mm-hmm. I think Tavon Campbell is a little bit of a when it comes to tackling. That's just my opinion. <laughs> Highest rated run defender in the CB room last year. That's why yeah. I I, I just I just don't like the physicality that he has on the outside as an outside cornerback personally, mm-hmm. and then I have just see a Taylor coming in last. So the the things that I disagree with is that I think Michael Davis is a number four cornerback mm-hmm. now, and just see a Taylor takes that spot as you said off of Dan Leonard, but Mark Webb is in my DB room. Nice, uh, I'm a little bit different again. I'm taking seven cornerbacks. I agree with the first four as most would, um, with Callahan as my third and Michael Davis as my fourth. I have both of the rookie cornerbacks making it. I've actually got Dean Leonard as my fifth because there are positive reviews about him from mandatory minicamp with a few pass breakups. Uh, Jasir Taylor is my sixth because of the special teams value, can return punts. And I do have Tavon Campbell making it as at the very back. So he's my seventh cornerback. And I feel like we give him a tiny bit of a hard time. He hasn't played... He hasn't... Yes... Um, but look, we, we asked him to play a lot of snaps last year, more than we could have ever reasonably asked him to play. So, and now he's had that experience of playing at the NFL level 
for someone at the back of the depth chart, I think he's completely adequate. For, for him to be the seventh cornerback, great. Okay, fine. And, you know, you can reasonable minds can differ about if you want to take an extra linebacker or an extra tight end or an extra cornerback. I want us to be quite deep at corner. So I am going to have the seven make it, which means Kimon Hall is the guy who misses out. Um, the one point I want to make about this group is they did not have enough interceptions last year. There are only four interceptions from our entire cornerback group in a 17-game season. Two from Asante, one from Michael Davis, one from Chris Harris Jr. No bueno. JC Jackson had double that just himself for the Pats. So hopefully him arriving means more more in that respect. And I know, Andy, you quoted Staley before saying we want to have the most catches as a DB group in, in, in the world. That's something to watch. We need to give our offense more opportunities. So seven cornerbacks for me. And Jack, why don't you take us into our last position group with the safeties? Yep, with four. Derwin James, Naz Adderley, Gilman, and JT Woods. Okay. I was umming and ahhing whether we take Gilman, but I think he deserves one more year or at least another training camp to see if he's going to make it on the back end. JT Woods is our rookie. I think the, the, the buzz coming out of training camp is that Nazir Adderley's playing very well. And perhaps not a discussion for now, but the buzz around what's going to happen with Derwin James's contract and extension, that's going to hang over us a little bit. However, we have seen that JC Jackson is willing to take less money to be on an all-star and Super Bowl caliber team. Will Derwin James have that same mindset? Again, those are rhetorical questions for the purpose of this podcast, but might be something for people to start considering as we sort of head into a, a very, very quiet period of the off season. Well, I'm going to let Andy answer first because I have a question to pose along those lines just at the back end of it. So Andy, which which safeties did you have making the, the final your final 53? Yeah, so I took six cornerbacks. I've taken five safeties. Derwin James, Nas Adderley, JT Woods, Mark Webb. I've put him in the safety group for all intents and purposes. Yep, much of a muchness. And Aloe Gilman as well, just for more safe special teams value. Um, they're my five. Al, do you want to jump in? Yes, quick quick change from me. Aloe Gilman's been cut from my 53. Yep. Uh, I, ha- I had four. I-, I had Derwin, Nas, JT Woods, and Mark Webb. My thinking was Aloe Gilman actually lined up at free safety a lot last year. He had played 255 snaps there, a missed tackle percentage, 17.8%. So now that JT Woods has arrived, I feel like Nas Adderley's, uh, sorry, that Gilman is expendable and Mark Webb is maybe a little better closer to the line. So I like having a couple safeties who you can leave back deep, JT Woods, Adley and guys who you can have in the box, Derwin James, Mark Webb. So they're my four. Bit unlucky to Loey Gilman, but he has had an opportunity to show his wares and I have not seen enough. My question to you, and I'll start with you, Jack. Uh, Kev Diego, one of our strong listeners from Bolts from the Blue, he, he asked me a question about whether I actually would extend Derwin James, which is a huge question. And a few people are talking about it on Bolts from the Blue. So his point to me was that as a pro, Derwin's missed two out of four seasons completely. And investing a large portion of the cap for the next five years on a guy that's on the field 50% of the time 
might not be in the best interests of this team, considering some of the cap issues which loom large with having to pay Justin Herbert in the future. Jack, would you sign Derwin James? Would you do it now? Would you do it later? So just maybe you need to know the background. This year, he's already contracted. He's due to make $9 million through to the end of this year. At the end of this year, we can either let him hit free agency or we can seek to negotiate at that time. But this is his fifth year option. This is his last year on the deal. At the end of this year, he's on a free agent. Uh, he's a free agent. Or we could look at franchise tag, that kind of stuff. But right now, he's playing for $9 million. And the rumors are that we're trying to negotiate an extension right now. So, Jack, two questions. Would you extend him at all? And if you would extend him, when would you do it? Now or at the end of the season? Uh, the answer to both those questions from my perspective is a resounding yes. This, in my mind, and Alistair, you and I have a lot of discussions around analytics mm. versus the old school, the vibe, the the character of a guy, the intangibles. Yeah. I have seen enough from Derwin James on the field, heard him mic'd up, look at how he acts in training camp. These are the types of people that you want in an organization. He's quite different to who's the who's the New York safety that went to um, the Seahawks? Adams. Adams. Adams, Jamal. He's quite different to Jamal Adams in his attitude. He's quite different to. Oh, he's, he's one of those guys. He's like Uriel Thomas, or you know that 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 back end guy who's powerful, has a big personality, but is not destructive. He's a very very positive young man, and I think also given the injury history, is that those you know he's what is he twenty five? You know, turning twenty six this year, two fifteen six two. He's just, I believe, hitting that physical peak. He's obviously had a number of years to get his body right. So from my perspective, as a locker room guy, as a leader, as this dog that just, to be honest, he's very scary. He's probably one of the more scary players on our team. I don't really see too much fear from any other one, but from any other player, maybe a, maybe a Bosa, but he's just sometimes a bit weird. Uh, Khalil Mack has has got the fear factor, so so when I'm and I don't see any in our linebackers, I don't really see any in our cornerbacks. JC Jackson has got a little bit of that attitude, but um, that's a wait and see whether how positive or negative that might be. So I think you've got to have guys that make a difference and a positive step in the locker room, a leader, but also a guy that just brings fear into the opposition. And I'm hoping that Derwin James, perhaps is able to, or we are able to negotiate with him a contract that he's happy with and that we can structure appropriately for the next five years. Hmm. Because we've, ta we've taken a swing on him at, at, at 17. He's come in. We've stuck by him. I think there should be a little bit of give and take there. Yeah. Andy. Uh, the, way I, the way I look at it is, will extending him as early as possible, is that meeting him in the middle enough that we can sort of back end his contract to ease the financial issues that we're going to have in the next couple of years? So if we commit to him, is he going to be more likely to go, yeah, I'll restructure, you know, maybe not the last year of his contract, but I'll look to take less money earlier and get paid further. I know that's a big risk with his injury history, but 
I agree with Jack. You know, if you throw up, who would you rather trade out of the team, Keenan Allen or Derwin James? I'm saying Keenan Allen every day of the week. I want Derwin James on my football team, what he does on and off the field to the rest of the group. Where's the dot? He's indispensable as far as I'm concerned. So I don't think he's the type. Like, Jack, you've made some really good points. He's not a, a, a massive egoist to the point where it's all about his money and it's a business thing rather than his love for playing for the Chargers and for Coach Staley. He wants to be with this team. I, I, I would like to be able to put off contract extension talks until we get a... Similar to what Kev Diego said, I agree with him. You know, you'd rather three out of five years than two out of four as a sample space for what you're actually getting. Um, and I think, you know, I think he might be able to understand that and it might not tear things apart because I just think he's built, he's wired a little differently. So I'm going to go with that approach and say I'll hold off um, at looking at getting the deal done, committing to a, a guy who had injury history. I don't think we took a swing with him at 17. I think he fell to us nicely, and that was a, a really good mix, but did have a bit of injury history, and it's proven to be the way in his first few years in the NFL. So that's where I stand on Derwin James' contract talks. I want him I want him to be a one-club player and be a charger for life, but, you know, it's it's about managing those risks when you're running a football team. So that's, that's how I sit on it. I agree. Uh, time value of money is the big one. It, so I, I agree with everything Jack said that throw analytics out the door in one sense. And by the way, he's also made two Pro Bowls and an All Pro. So the analytics are fine. He matters just way more from an institutional, organizational perspective. He's, it's a, he's a wash with leadership attributes. He's somebody that we, we need to keep inside the building at all costs. But then the question is, when do we engage in these negotiations? If he's happy to play this year without the new contract, I would flirt with that. But there's the time value of money thing too, right? So Minka Fitzpatrick just signed a huge deal now. Do you want to get the deal done right now? Front load it maybe with a lot of guarantees where we'll pay you a lot more now, mate, maybe two years. And then towards the back end, you've got a bit of a safety net in case he has more injury problems. Huge discussion, but clearly we all love doing James. Uh, so the last three players now on the roster, I'll just quickly run through special teams, kicker, punter, long snapper. No one really wants to talk about these positions, but it's probably a good thing that we don't have to talk too much about the kicker th uh, this year. He showed himself to be more than capable. So I've gone with Dustin Hopkins for the punter. Sorry, JT Scott. I've got an Aussie making it. I've gone Ben Griffiths uh, from the Richmond Tigers and USC making it. Let's get an Aussie in the mix. And as a long snapper is Josh Harris, who was an all pro with the Falcons last year. So those are my three. Jack, who are your three? Yeah, exactly the same. I've Ooh. said goodbye to JK Scott. And let's get an Aussie on there because we'd love him on the podcast. So nice. Dustin Hopkins, Ben Griffiths, and Joshua Harris. Oh, I feel like he won't come on the show if I don't say Ben <laughs> punter. I have <clears throat> JK Scott listed as my punter. Oh, um, yeah, had a bit of time off. I think he only played one game last year with the, the Jags. He's, he's got a boomer of a kick. Big boy as well. Nice tall fella. So, um, look, 28th or 29th ranked special teams unit. We bring in um, Ryan Ficken, um, who's had some success in his past. And so we're looking to improve. And it's nice that, yeah, the punter isn't the uh, – sorry, the, the kicker position isn't a massive, you know, training camp battle for us this year. And we're not – splitting hairs over 
what worst case scenario it's going to be. Um, I like that Ty Long's gone. There were so many times where he absolutely shanked a 39-yard punt in just like from the two, just did stuff like that that was just not okay. So I'm more than happy to see him out the door. And, um, yeah, Griffo, uh, please come on the show, mate. Uh, I'd love to have you on. Yeah, yeah. As our new, as our new Chargers punter. So I think we're all in agreement. It's good to see that that, um, that part of the team's going to improve. Any further things to add on the special teams unit? What you might expect to see out of that? No, I, I well, I am expecting a big improvement. That's that's for sure. Definitely seeing that um, Ficken, Ficken coming in, however you pronounce his name. Uh, is it Ficken or Ficken? Ficken. Is it Ficken? Uh, you know, proven special teams coach and, um, and a really important, you know, he has that really important role of developing those rookies and those, those lower... Uh, depth players Uh, it's and you know a lot of people really maybe not discount but maybe not focus on special teams a lot but if you look at what Belichick has done with and the developmental uh, process and coaching process they go through their special teams is it's quite incredible and it's that hidden yardage that you want if you can gain an extra 60 70 80 yards a game on your special teams that's huge that's a drive at the end of a game that the other team may not have and that's a drive that you possibly could have so um that's something that we really need to if we're talking about closing the gap on our best and our worst i think the special teams has got a huge a huge gap to to fill yeah i agree with that the hidden yardage being a big thing um sometimes games rely on that <clears throat> week 18 against the raiders um That'll probably just about wrap up our 53-man roster, roster predictions. Uh, it's been a lot of fun seeing a lot of similarities between the three of our philosophies and a few disagreements. It's going to be great to see what happens after training camp and heading into preseason. Guys out there listening, be sure to let us know your thoughts. Call us out on any ridiculous selections that we've made. Um, so specific players or position groups in the comments, we'd love to hear uh, your ideas. Um how many, how many DBs Staley would carry if he could or if the dead cap hit cutting Pipkins would be worth it to try and lure a new veteran right tackle in before training camp. Before we go today, as I said at the top, we are working to reschedule our show with Jamie Hoyle. That's now in the works for a late July release. So for now, the three of us are going to take a bit of a break, come back in a month's time loaded with, uh, yeah, fun time with Jamie and then our 2022 TDU Chargers opponent series where we'll, we'll look at all the Chargers opposition teams and give a bit of a rundown on them and some predictions for our games to come in the 2022 season. Um, and then it's straight into the preseason um, and it's, you know, no holds barred from there. So come along for what should be the best ride you've ever had to date as a Chargers fan in 2022. We'll see you next time on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast.